Greetings one and all wherever you are in the universe and welcome to the latest episode of an Espresso Shot of Confidence, the podcast that explores confidence from all different angles and challenges unhelpful narratives and empowers you to be awesome loudly and proudly. It's time for you to grab yourself a drink and settle in for the next however long this episode is. I'm your host, the master of awesomeness, Ashley Griffiths, and today we'll be talking all about male health. And who better to talk to about this than the awesome Chris Wilson, the founder of Midlife Men Mindset, a podcaster, coach, consultant, who is on a mission to support men navigate their midlife to live healthy and stress-free lives. So good afternoon, morning, good morning, Chris, how's it going? Well, it's good morning or good afternoon or good evening, wherever I find you today. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. So could you just tell our listeners just a little bit about the work that you do? Well, not to marginalize anybody, but I work with a man normally in midlife. Now, remember, you've probably got a dad, an uncle, or maybe even a granddad who is that person, or you could be that person. And my job is to try to make you live the best version of yourself and avoid that word crisis because that's what we generally label ourselves off when we're going through midlife and talk to you more about fulfillment joy happiness i love that what what led you into that my own personal transition really i had a little bit of a bump i'd say a very big bump and I sat there on a very, very dark December morning thinking that perhaps this could be my last day. And from that low point, I think also became my high point because I realized that I do actually have a life worth living. And it told me all about self-discovery, self-vulnerability, and some techniques that I've now applied to me that allows me to wake up every morning I just feel grateful that I can put my feet on the floor. Oh, that's amazing to hear. And um, I've heard that similar, similar stories. And I think that that's a good transition into the fact that it's International Men's Health Day uh, coming up in November. And one of the, the goals of that and the charity also Movember that, that runs events throughout the month of November, always getting mixed up November, November, uh, good marketing, I guess. But one of the goals of that is to raise awareness around that, the topic of male's mental health and just the sheer shocking volume of suicides that happen in men. Like I read somewhere statistics, like one man every single minute of every single day around the world or something insane like that is is scary so why are so men men getting to that place that they like they just think that's it it's the end i don't know well I mean, first of all november is also about prostate cancer i think yeah. that's the original campaign but they have navigated themselves through a number of other ways that men are losing their lives and suicide unfortunately is still a very very stark statistic for men in fact of all the suicides, three out of four of them are known to be men. And the most vulnerable bracket is 45 to 54. That is the biggest incidence of suicide. In fact, it's, it's both male and female, it has that peak, mm -hmm. but there are still more men. I think in fact, it's something like 4,129 deaths were due to suicide. 
in the last Office of National Statistics stats. And you're right, every 90 seconds worldwide, somebody decides. So if we're talking about you know, a podcast that might be 30 minutes long, in that period, maybe 20 of your male counterparts are no longer with us. Wow. I know in, in society, I know probably in, in your generation, my generation as well, things have changed, obviously, in society, the roles of men. But before we go into that, now we're having these conversations. But before, these conversations simply didn't happen. Is that something that's played a huge role in this? I mean, what in, in the rate of people that, that people think they have no option, they can't, they can't talk. I mean, what would, you, what would your thoughts be on that? Well, I've done a lot of research and a lot of reading, and I've obviously got my own personal account of this as well. And from a personal point of view, it is a very enveloping feeling of vulnerability, loneliness, and self-talk. And sometimes it's at night. And one of the worst things you can do, and anybody listening, I, I, I really ask you to feel for yourself and, and protect yourself, is that you wake up in the morning, you know, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, and it's your subconscious brain telling you that something's wrong. It's your yeah. subconscious way of saying, Chris, Ash, James, John, whoever you are, you need to deal with something. And I'm waking you up at this point in your sleep pattern because I can't rest my subconscious mind because it's troubled. And of course, those thoughts come up and you try to suppress them. You try to say, no, I'm a man and I need to deal with this. My grandfather, my father, the role models in my life have told me that I need to be strong. Hmm. And because of that, I need to be strong role modeling that we perhaps label ourselves with. We feel that we're the peace person that have to be our own hero. Yeah. But actually, the true vulnerability is to say, I am really not okay. And to reach out and ask for help, but also ask for help in the right way. And I think some of the issue is, is that when we actually talk about vulnerability, we are still very much in a female-orientated support manner. And I'm not dis dissing any aspect of the society that we live in, but if you look, think about a young male, yeah. most of their role models are teachers who are female. Yeah. And then when you talk about therapeutic intervention, 75% of therapists that are working in psychology places are female. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, when you've got men coming to talk about a vulnerability problem, and we're trying to talk about it from a female bias, could it be that we're trying to diagnose a male problem with a female thought pattern, don't know. But there's something in that, I think, in terms of how that transpires. And also, you know, way back, we were taught to be tribal. We were taught to be the hunter-gatherer. We were taught to, to, to be the person that had to be strong. And I think Jordan Peterson, Peterson talks about the time to be strong is at your father's funeral, or you, that's when you've got to be strong and you've yeah. got to be seen to be the person that has no weakness. But there are other times when you can just sit down and say, I am really not okay right now. And the best person 
is the mate that you've got that just says, I'm there for you. I've got your back. Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. As I opposed to judging you to say, you are, you know, all right. Oh, come on, man. And that, I'm not even going to say it. But when we are vulnerable and then somebody belittles us for being vulnerable, that's the worst spiral ever. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Sorry, long answer. No, but- no. You, you explored the, the, the huge nuance of this subject. I think the, just reflecting on my journey, I think when, when I turned around and went, look, I, I knew I had to pick up the phone because I just didn't trust myself by myself. And I was like, I need to just say, look, I'm not doing okay. And look, you know, for me, I had three people I knew I could pick up the phone to. And between them, they organized support. Um, And it was liberating, you know, just to like, instead of putting a mask on, instead of like, I've got my shit together, I'm okay. You know, I'm a man, I'm strong. I don't have any emotion. It's like, I can't do it no more. (laughs) But I want to come back to your point where you you were talking about role models, because I know one of the one of the, the driving goals of say International Men's Day is to promote po- more positive role models for males. Because again, typically, if you look at the way males are portrayed in movies, a lot of TV shows and stuff, you've still got predominantly that image of quite hyper fit, hyper achieving, buff alpha males that dominate highly competitive all of this stuff and for and for some people they're just really not like that so obviously it causes a conflict for them so i mean why do you think it's important to to change the narrative around this around the the the, the male role models for males Uh, again just trying to get to our evolution of a species we're living a modern world, but we're still in a very, very old brain. And that old brain has been passed down to us for hundreds of generations. And no matter how fast we try and be a modern person in a modern world, there are still stereotypes that rest within us about our genealogy that said the person that's the strongest, the fittest, and the perhaps the most idolized by the other sex or the same sex is the person that's going to be chosen because they can fight, they can hunt and they can co-produce. And effectively that's what, that was our role. And that could still be seen to be deep down in our genealogy, what we're here to do. Yeah. And in the last hundred years in particular, I think we've moved so rapidly as a species. And in the middle of that, we also had two massive world wars. Yeah. And our grandfathers and our father's grandfather were taught to go to war. You never know if you're going to come home again with your mates. And when you get back, you go to the pub of the working men's club and say everything's all right. (laughs) Well, perhaps some of that, has also been passed down to us. But role modeling, I think no matter how hard we say, you don't need to be fit, strong, handsome, agile, wealthy. 
you can't avoid the fact that over so many years, this is how we were selected to be the tribal leader and also to co-produce. Yeah. I mean, that, that's coded. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of years of evolution here. Yeah. And I think what, what is positive, though, I think, and I know it's going to take, it's not going to just change overnight. And it can't. And I think, you know, we live in a society where social media, marketing, the media in general, um, entertainment, um, they're constantly reinforcing these norms or these roles of what a man is. What and it's not just a man. I mean, obviously, we see this in in the conversations we're having this with females and 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 non-binaries uh, about how they're portrayed, the stereotypes that go with that, and and even with with um, races and everything, we see that still. It's like, is that is that really? Is that you know? But let's just let's just pause on that for a minute and I, I, I am not trying to marginalize anybody for anything that they believe in or that they see as uh, as right but when some of those issues have come up be it equality for ladies in business be it LGBT rights be it racial harmony Everybody says that's something that really matters and we must do something about that. We must make that a political debate, a parliamentary discussion, a law or a movement. And yet when the stark statistics say that three out of four suicides are men. Yeah. And perhaps as a result of allowing the equality to exist in gender, the focus is on how do we make sure the people who are discriminated against are given equal bias. Why, is, why are men still taking their lives? Is that not something that is an issue that we need to focus on as opposed to saying, be less vulnerable, man up and talk about it? Yeah, I think for sure, I think those are things we need to be talking about. And the, the, the narrative of around any sort of equality of, or diversity or anything like that, that sort of thing, it, 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 by its very nature, it others. Um, because that's as it stands with the where we're at, um, as a race with the, like you said, that the, the period of evolution, we will other. And I think, I can't remember if it was Jordan Peterson or whether it was someone else. It was like these changes in society. It changes like certainly what a man is in the context of now. So as you mentioned, you were like, okay, we still got in those genes. Or, or evolution or societal is still portraying a man as this is what you do. You go out, you make, you get the money, you get the food, you come home, you know, you, you, everything's there. And then you try and create babies. That's what you do. You don't have to do anything else, but society has moved on. You know, as you mentioned, we, you know, people are going to work different. There's different gender roles that's like a lot more equality around and awareness around same sex and stuff now and marriages and all of that stuff. I mean, society as a whole has changed. Those traditional roles that men would have fulfilled, a lot of them are gone. So how, how do men adapt to that? Well, let, let's just put it into where we could be perhaps in five years with the evolution of AI and everything else. Could we see ourselves as a 
male person, maybe mid 35, that says, I would rather have a relationship with a artificial being that is empathetic towards my needs, provides my sexual uh, requirements as well, also does the tasks around the house that I need to have without any conflict, without any aggravation and no argument. Is that where we're going in that that sounds really simple to fulfill all of my needs and I, I don't have to have a relationship? Is that the evolution of our species that we're confronting ourselves with? At the moment, there are more men that seem to have sexless relationships. There are more men that are lonely. And because of the leveling up in society, which I totally advocate, when a lady crosses the divide to say, I'm looking for a soulmate, because they've risen in the socioeconomic status, which is absolutely right, when they're trading across, they're looking for a man that's probably taller than them because that's what they like. Mm. And yet they've managed to grow taller, which is great. They're also looking probably for a man that is of the same worth or a higher net worth than they are. Yeah. And therefore the available pool of men for them to choose from is less because as a, as a species, ladies have become much better at performing like for like yeah and therefore there's lots of men that now are not in the mating pool because they are no longer the stereotypical role model that a lady might be looking for I, again i'm challenging the, the status quo here to say we don't select our our mates based on you know looks strength wealth mm, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Go to a nightclub on a Saturday night, at you know, and I beg to differ. I'm with you on that. I've read a lot of dystopian literature, so uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the, uh, the what you just suggested, I would say it's probably already happening. What Not is going to happen in terms of people going into that, the online world or the fantasy world and just getting certain needs taken care of in that that side of things i mean obviously it's the way that technology develops there'll be more functions that they can perform but the you know that that move is already that's already happening i, I and also it, it it's so harmful because i think it it labels the opposite sex or the same sex that you might have to have a relationship with as something that's very unnatural and mm. I'm not going to get into the, the whole porn debate and that kind of thing. But again, it's just not a natural relationship that exists in terms of how things start, how things develop and sometimes how they don't develop and how that feels, who, who sets it off. Is it the male person that sets it off? Is it the female? Mm. If the male starts it and then they are, told actually no not now how does that make them feel it, oh, there's a whole can of worms here but i it's, think if we can't create a natural symbiotic environment for two people to have a healthy relationship with each other and the distraction is something that's artificial or that is on a media tablet of some sort that's dangerous I totally agree with that. I mean, I've personally 
seen the the damage that that can potentially cause um in terms of mental health um in terms of people withdrawing from society lockdown obviously and things like pandemic that obviously played a role and i think that's maybe expedited certain things um because people were forced into isolation now one of the things that you mentioned when the work you do uh with with the males group you talk about the five fundamentals of of midlife health and one of those is the relationships having healthy relationships so i mean how can that help you from a mental health point of view from just a life point of view in general how does having these healthy relationships what what is a healthy relationship but how does it help you well i want to be clear about the word relationship is also relationship with society men uh, partners husbands wives parents children in that it's relationships across many levels that have to be healthy and have to be serving you and because we are still tribal beings, we like to work in communities where we're part of a tribe. Yep. And yet we are now more disconnected because of the way that we live, work, breathe, and cohabitate in different spaces. We've lost our tribal connectivity. And if you think about a social media model, for example, particularly for young people, when they're in a tribe of people, be it a WhatsApp group or a Facebook group or a TikTok, and they're not receiving the likes or the affirmations or the shares that they're looking for, they feel marginalized by the tribe. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for acceptance. They're looking for approval. And that when they don't get that, of course, it makes them feel vulnerable. And then they seek affirmation or likes or, or positivity from, from even more despair. And if they still don't get that, then again, it, it just becomes this vicious circle. So my thought about relationships is, yes, it's great to have a good relationship with your significant other, but it's also important to have relationships, relationships in many other places, particularly social relationships, where you can just coexist with other people, both female, male, or same genre, and just have good, deep, discussion yeah i'm with you on that it's just it's one of my favorite things in the world to do just sit and talk that's it no kind of agendas no no none of that's like we're just going to talk and riff and see where it goes it's super powerful but i think again just kind of coming back to the relationships um one of the things i've noticed certainly about this up leveling of society um is a growth of say the hustle culture and always being on always needing to be available always on your phone always there to answer your emails your messages whatever it is that's coming through and this invariably at some point it might not be today might not be tomorrow i would say is driving up the rates of stress and the levels of burnout in society because it's just not sustainable not sustainable and obviously coming back to your other point relationships suffer as as a result because you don't have the time for it so i mean what what were your thoughts on that is there anything else you would add regarding that well you only have to go to a restaurant pub train and watch what people do and you'll see people with their phones and particularly 
two people who are allegedly in a relationship with each other and their heads are down and their attention is given to a plastic metal device that is drawing them in with algorithmic content that is designed to keep them on it. And I would just urge anybody that wants to have a significantly good relationship to think carefully about what's more important to them. This a technological device that demands their time or the person that is the most important person because they're a human being that wants to have interaction and discussion. So when you say hustle culture always on it, what boundaries do you put in place and what commitments do you make to each other to say that our time is important? Mm. At six o'clock, the phone goes down. When we're out for dinner, we put the phone in the glove compartment and we don't take it into the restaurant. Or we use things like do not disturb so that only the right people can come in. Because I have people that I want to make sure that at any point in time I'm available for them. Yeah. But if I'm in a situation where I just want to have good communication, I'll put it on do not disturb. So that only the most important people that I absolutely will always want to be able to contact me know that they can. But otherwise, nobody's getting through. Because yeah. right now, the conversation that exists is between me and Ashley. Yeah. And that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. My phone is, I don't even know where my phone is. It's nowhere near here and everything else is turned off because that is, this is the moment, you know, there's nothing else in this moment. It's like me, you in the conversation. And it's one of those things that I think it, it's, it made me feel sad. You know, I looked around it at people a lot before, before the pandemic. Um, I'd notice people constantly, just groups of people be there just on their phones, families going out for a meal and they're communicating, probably maybe messaging each other around the same table. And, and it, it just made me sad. And then the pandemic happened and you couldn't talk to soon and you got, I got into the habit of being on my phone. So I'm currently in the process of getting off it. I've deleted social media off my phone. It's just not on there anymore, which may surprise some people considering I work in social media. But it's just like you said, boundaries are so much, so important for, for health, for life, for relationships, right? Mm. And if you read Atomic Habits, he'll talk about making things easy or making things difficult. Yeah. So if you know that you're getting triggered by social media, how do you make it difficult for you to be pulled into that attraction? And just as you've done, taking out them off your phone makes it difficult for you to access them. And perhaps if you want to be reading more or looking at more, the thing on your home screen is Audible or Amazon Books. So yeah. that the first thing that you're when you pick up your phone, it's easy to see the things that want to serve you and hard to get into the things that you don't. Same could be with your TV at home. It sounds weird, but we don't watch the TV at home because it's not in the it's not in the lounge, and we have to make a physical effort to go to a different room, plug in the device, get it out of the cupboard, and it's you know it's difficult to do. So it has to be intentional to say we're going to watch Beckham on Netflix because somebody's recommended it, and it's kind of an environment where. We're all about watching this, but at other times, the TV is just uh, just something that 
service of someone we want it, as opposed to, oh, I wonder what's on TV, flick, 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 and something comes up to say, this catastrophe has just happened in the world. And my brain just goes, oh, I need to know more about that. Yeah, I, I don't watch TV. The only reason I've still got Netflix is because my mum and dad like watching it. Um, if it weren't for that, I'd have deleted it. I find it overwhelming. Mm. Just I go on there, I want to watch a movie. Yeah. And I'm greeted by all this stuff. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, you know what? I, I, I'm going to go and just listen to some music instead. Like you said, you need to put those boundaries in place because I think if you haven't got those, you can end up, obviously, like I mentioned, it leads to stress, it leads to burnout. So, but I mean, you, where, does, where does the stress come from? Mm. The stress comes from the fact that, as again, as a, as a human being, you're designed to be scanning for danger and threat at all times. It's how you survive. It's why mm-hmm. you don't put your hand in a flame. It's why you decide that if you're near a, a ledge, you stand back and you're careful because your brain is telling you that there's... But the media companies and others know that this is the way you operate. And therefore, when you see a headline, a clickbait, a news-breaking item, the brain immediately goes, how is that going to impact me? I need to find some assurance that I'm going to be okay. And it starts to go, search, search, search. Tell me we're going to be fine. Okay, threat minimized. It's not. But if you weren't triggered by the newsbait item in the first place, and you just lived in the moment, how much better would that make you? I know I'm sounding like a right old crusty fuddy-duddy here on the basis that <laughs> I haven't got a TV. I don't. But these are the things that could be triggering our vulnerability and our decisions to put us in a stress state. Stress state causes so many other health implications because your body wasn't designed to live in a stress state 24 hours a day. Sure. No, I'm with you on that. I think you've, you've learned your boundaries and you've put boundaries in place. And, and I think it's really important to emphasize that, that it's very individual for everybody. But like you've also talked about the general in terms of our human nature, social media, movies, media are all designed in a way that taps into our more basic <laughs> processes it's like danger 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 you know it's like i've read a few stats so about about this and, and the world is portrayed as being more dangerous than it ever has been but the crime stats don't match up <laughs> with that uh, but yet you don't see kids in the streets people aren't going out they're staying inside they're becoming more and more and more insular and i'm living and breathing proof of what damage that can do if you go down that route and become a hermit it is not good for you Mm -hmm. in any way shape or form but talking about like coming back to like the stresses you mentioned some of the impact that stress can have on the body so what would that what would that be there's lots of studies that show what happens when we are stressed. Just think about you about to be uh, attacked by something that is cause, causing you to be feel vulnerable, be it facing down the f- eyes of a lion. That lion is about to pounce. And at that moment in time, 
your heart starts to pump massive oxygenated blood to all your vital organs for the primary purpose so that when you run, you can run as fast and as hard as you possibly can. At the same time, your senses are completely awake. You're looking, you're feeling, you're hearing, you're touching at a sense of total perception, ready to pick out the nuance of the, the tiger's pounce, the tiger's leap, and you're ready to combat it. And at the same time, you've got chemicals like cortisol and adrenaline that flood your system full of priming energy to allow you to survive. That is what your body does for you when you're in a threat stress state. Try and do that for long periods of time, though, and the body goes, this is unsustainable. I cannot carry on doing this. My heart wasn't designed to go that fast. I wasn't designed to live at high blood pressure. Cortisol and adrenaline coursing through my veins all the time doesn't serve me. And the only way that the body will then come out of that, when the stress container is that full that it's literally it's lapping around your nostrils, the body will reset the score in another way, regrettably. And some of those indications are that when we're living stress and anxiety for long periods of time, it manifests itself in other more sinister implications, which could be burnout. It could be a heart attack. It could be cancer. Look at the numbers of people currently that are off work. 2.4 million people in the UK are off work because of a long-term health condition. Is there a correlation between stress and anxiety and some of those conditions? I think there is. I would categorically say there is, uh, based on what I have seen, experienced not only myself and other people, when I'm stressed, for example, certain health challenges present themselves. When I'm chilled, when I'm at ease, when I'm all good, yeah. they're gone. The body will reset the score. But also when you're living in that high agitated state, it also seeks food that is quick satiation, high energy and uh, quick delivery. Yeah. That is highly processed high fat, high sugar, because your body wants stuff to enable you to jump as quickly as possible. When that line's about to hit you, you've got quick, nourishing, fast food to enable you to get out and run. Great for that moment of threat, yeah. not sustainable for the long term. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm reading so much stuff about that at the moment. The state of play regarding nutrition there's been a lot talked about like the highly processed food that there's there's kind of pressure on the government right now to start labeling foods um that are highly processed because i think there's a lack of understanding around it still um there's a lot of people that just not getting the nutrition they need um there's a lot of people with digestive challenges as a result of that from your point of view like with the work that you've done the research that you found what i mean what is the importance of having a good diet and what does that even mean a good diet well this is a podcast in itself and rather than me to try to educate completely if you were to go to a couple of well-known podcasters currently you can look at some fantastic podcasts on the impact of highly processed food 
the gut microbiome and everything else. But essentially, when we started having the ability to create food at scale through machinery and production lines, food is now a commodity that creates significant wealth for a number of companies. Significant. And some of the biggest companies in the world probably control all of the food that we consume and also the drink that we um, that we have. But that highly processed food is so far removed from the word food in terms of what serves us that that in itself is having some causative inclines in things like diabetes and potentially also brain limiting diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. I share a stat when I pub publicly speak about the incidence of diabetes rising. If you look it up on the internet, you'll see that diabetes was hardly a thing in the 20s and 30s and 40s. And when we suddenly started creating high processed food and also high sugar, surprise, surprise, diabetes came along and started to increase. And it's one of the threats to society down the road is that diabetes and other long-term health conditions are suggested to be highly linked to highly processed food. Very difficult conundrum, though, because it's also a socioeconomic aspect of how do we deliver good food to a large populace of people at scale when they haven't got the time or energy or ability to create that food? Because fresh food also needs time to create, yeah. appliances to cook it on, and also uh, methods to be able to put it on the table versus quick, highly processed, out of the packet, yeah. onto the plate, done. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it was kind of easy when I lived in Thailand, for example, where it was cheaper to go to a street vendor and get it cooked in front of you using those fresh products. And you'd some, some of the places I lived in didn't even have a kitchen. But I think that that time, I mean, that's uh, the amount of conversations I hear and have around time just today, just today, the first two conversations I had today, time came up and productivity and how they use that time and the fact they haven't got time and stuff like that and in the society that we live in right now convenience is key so you can order the food you've got you've got your little device you can just bing, bing, bing the food comes it's great but it's not so great for your health in the long run because you're ordering kfc and kfc strap line finger licking good hmm. mcdonald's i'm loving it poke real magic look at the strap lines look at the marketing Look at the taste tester that's somewhere in the lab right now, putting a Pringles in three people's mouths to say, which one has a better crunch? Yep. Which one makes you want to salivate more? Which one makes you want to go and have another packet? Replicate, test, model, go and, rep go and do that. Boom. It's, yeah, it's, it's scary. <laughs> it's scary. It's a really. commodity. It's, a, sure. it's, it's making <laughs> lots of people lots of money. I get that. Yeah, but when you talk about the Thailand model, where fresh food is available in the street market, how do we try to create that community feel for community produce, where we know the provenance of it, and also we know that when it comes out of the ground, it's good. If you have an orange today, allegedly you have to have eight oranges to be 
equal to the orange that you would have had in the 1920s because of the way that the soil and the nutrients create the food that we have. Mind-blowing. It truly, it truly is. And I know how you look after yourself now. I mean, it, it, it's hard. I mean, in terms of there's so much information out there. There's so much information out about what to do, what you should be eating, what you should be doing, the exercise you should be having, how much time you should be online, offline, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it can become very overwhelming knowing, okay, so what, what, what do I do? Um, and, and it's not a one-size-fits-all solution, is it? No, but I think deep down, I think deep down, if I was to put you on a wall and, you know, sorry to be crass, but if I was to put you on a wall and point a rifle at you and say, would you like to have a KFC bargain bucket right now? Or would you rather have a really nice, good plate of vegetables, locally sourced meat and some water? You know deep down which part of that equation best serves you. Yeah. But the principle is the instant gratification. Of it. I'll, I'll do this today because it doesn't really impact later in life. But it's the same principle of doing your teeth. Miss doing my teeth tonight won't really have an impact. Miss doing my teeth in four weeks every day in a row. Yeah. I've got bad teeth. Yeah. But because we don't see the instant impact of the little tiny choice today that we make on our food, because we think tomorrow I'll be better, next week I'll stop, or in 2024 I'll be better, uh, you, it, it, it's just this oxymoron between temptation to satisfy what we want today because it's quick, easy, and makes me feel good versus the long-term impact of how this could be affecting me all my children, you know, you sure. go to a restaurant and you see people consuming and the kids go, well, that must be right because dad's just celebrated about going, go on, kids, bargain bucket, aren't we great? And the impact of how we generationally su suggest that this is how we live. Oh, I'm sounding like a right old fuddy-duddy today, aren't I, in my soapbox? <laughs> Well, these conversations need to be had because I think if you go, that, that was the point of the question. I mean, you go online, you go on the social media, it's always very, it's black, it's white, it's this way, it's that way. You should be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. But again, a lot of that is done through the lens of now, right now. And, you know, you see it all the time, like with certain foods, like today, Oh, don't eat that. It's bad for you. Next week, it'll be good for you. I think being open-minded to have these open to these conversations and, and exploring, okay, so how could this work? How could this do? What is the potential impact? And I know looking into the future is, a, is, is an abstract, abstract term, but I'll, I'll share a story like for me when, when I quit smoking. The, the one of the things that they they were really pushing in the health literature at the time was so if you were to give up based on your age if you give up smoking now the likelihood you know with it long lasting impact you should be okay if you continue until this stage you you just it was showing the increase in risk regarding potential long term damage within the blood with lung cancer things throat cancer things like that and it was like no nah, I don't fancy that. 
uh, <laughs> it didn't stop me because I was addicted. I was and got past the addiction and the reason for the addiction at that point. But it did send a kernel of, into the the mind that started weaving around. And eventually, when I when I did quit, I was like, yeah, nah, 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 nah. no, thank you. But it's it's just like i said there's just so much stuff out there and about how you should be and how you should show up and how you should look after yourself and just kind of bringing this conversation back to males about how you you should look um or be or go to the gym and get you know super buff and all of that stuff i mean is it any wonder a lot of people don't do it <laughs> yeah no what what does what does <laughs> What does being you really mean? And what, what are you trying to achieve by going to the gym? Are you doing it because you are looking to find your mate? Are you doing it because you want to be great on Instagram? Or do you want to look in the mirror and just feel happy with yourself? You know, but it's down to personal responsibility on all the things that we're talking about. It's having that reflection, that momentary pause to, to say, how am I going to live today? What choices am I going to make? And why am I making those choices? And what's the impact of those choices of the people that matter to me and depend on me as a person? And when you begin to really unpick, my choices today are not just about impacts to me individually, but it's also impacts on people that depend on me. And so many times people have that burnout or they have that really big diagnosis of illness and then they change because they've got no alternative. Somebody's pushed them off the mountain. Somebody's just taken the floor from underneath them and just said, Ashley Griffiths, if you don't do this, the impact is going to be that you will not be here within six months. Oh, Suddenly, Memento Mori hits us in the face and we change because we've got no alternative. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, Memento Mori will come to all of us. Very true. You are already a ticking clock. And the choices that we make today, I believe, creates a long and healthy life. And it's a healthy life that's long as opposed to a life that we live. like that and it's so true it's so true i think it's humans and you you started at the beginning by mentioning this not to mention the c word the crisis but generally like like you said it takes for the vast majority of us it takes that crisis of confidence a a a crisis uh say a relationship falls apart a health crisis a a life crisis, a midlife crisis. But the fact it, that we even determine it as a crisis is is it, it's is part of the problem, isn't it? The fact that we have a midlife pause, it's just again a little signal to say, "Are you really happy with where you are right now?" You can see that what you've got left might be shorter than what you've had, and this is a time to reflect about the journey ahead and say, "Is the journey that you're living?" the journey that's serving you best. It's not a crisis. It's just your so subconscious mind saying, just check in with yourself. If you're not happy, what are you going to do about it? 
don't go and buy a Harley Davidson. Don't go and buy a Porsche or something else that you think you're suddenly proving yourself to the world that you're not a midlife. You know, you're not. It's your mind just saying, I'm just a bit restless. I can see where I've gone. I'm seeing where I'm going. And I don't quite know whether or not I'm happy with the cul-de-sac that I'm driving down. That's a powerful question to reflect upon. And I know, on a, again, on a personal level, I know I've checked in there that recently, just asking those questions. So maybe I am. I don't see it as a crisis as well. For me, you know, the work where with my journey, now when that comes up, it's like, okay, what's this telling me? What do I need to look at? Okay, I got triggered by something. Okay, what is it that I need to work on? because <laughs> if it's bothering me on an external that means there's something going on internally mm -hmm. um but i think there's there's also in the society we live in i mean there's still that huge emphasis on finding the solution external from us i uh, be that buying the things promoting ourselves on social media like like with the buff body or the check me out i'm 45 look at me my body looks better than when i was 20 i mean yeah i mean that can be my body definitely looks better than when i was 20 but that's because i care more about my body now as opposed to and i'm certainly not going to post it on social media i would ask you to look back at i don't know the last the last four weeks and the moments for me that matter at the time that when I had a pint with a bloke who I know, he'd come in from Amsterdam and we had a right rip-roaring laugh for about an hour and a half about <laughs> all things to do with life. And I can remember from the point that we sat down to the point that he left, it was amazing. Yeah, I can't remember the little treats that I had that were just a temptation. And if you look at the longest serving study ever of humanity by Harvard, yeah. they followed generations. And also, if you look at Brony Wynn's Regrets of the Dying, the thing that they all talk about is people and yeah. relationships and community and interaction. And if we can stop being triggered by what we want by way of what we buy and instead invest in community, Retreats, running, talking, going down the pub. From that meeting you have with somebody, when's the next one? I so enjoyed meeting you today, Ash. Let's put the next date in the diary so that we know that in three months' time we're going to do this again. As opposed to, oh, we should do this again sometime. Yeah, such a weak <laughs> statement. We should do this again sometime. Make it intentional. I really enjoyed this today, Ash. Let's get the diaries today out so that in three months' time we've got something nailed in. Because life's busy. Yeah. Oh, totally with you on that. Totally with you on that. And oh, man. Isn't it just? And that, that's a whole nother conversation right there. Life is busy. Everyone's busy. As the Dalai Lama says, everybody's busy doing nothing. Um, <laughs> but fair enough. But we're coming to the, the end of our time uh, together today. So if there are any listeners out there that are looking for some support with their mental health with their physical health um how can you support them well i've got a very simple website which is mid-life.men and in there there are some articles podcasts youtube videos and also discussion around my five fundamentals which is this stands for the men's are which is 
meditation or mindfulness, exercise, nutrition, relationships, and sleep. Those five have to really link together to create what I consider to be a good ecosystem for living. And then if you like the sound of some of the discussions here, I've got a website, sorry, a podcast called Primal Midlife. And on YouTube, you'll find me Midlife Men. Perfect. And all the links will be in the description for this episode Amazing. if you want to go and check that out. So before we ride off into the sunset, I have one final question for you, for our awesome listeners. And that is, what is your espresso shot of confidence for them? Four words. Nothing good comes easy. Sometimes you've got to put the hard work in to get the good outcome. I hear you. I hear you. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. That's been been an awesome conversation. Learned a lot, and I'm, I'm sure it's given, uh, no pun intended, lots of food for thought. Um, or maybe the pun was very much intended. Uh, plenty of food for thought for our listeners as they move forward on their journey. So thanks so much. Thank you, Ash, and uh, grateful for the opportunity. And remember, my mantra in life is always the same, yeah, which is that we have one life. So love life, living life. Love it. and Love it. So wherever you are in the universe, thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for loving and living your life. So wherever you are in the world, stay safe and don't forget to be awesome.